Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. I'm looking at a book right now that's a love story of a couple that only God could have brought together. It's titled, It's Not Always About You. It's written by Terry D. Newman, and I get to find out more about it. Terry is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Terry, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Corey, I appreciate you taking time to visit with me. Uh, the pleasure's all mine, Terry. Can you let me know what It's Not Always About You is all about? Corey, that title came from something my wife has said to me for almost 50 years. She'd get upset and say, Terry, it's not always about you. Well, that's true. And as I wrote the book, I realized more and more every day, every, every time I sit down and write, that's very important to all of us. It's not always about us. And it's about the love that God has given us through the years. All that he's still doing for us today, even though Kathy's been in heaven for almost two and a half years now. Terry, what sorts of readers were you targeting here, speaking to? Corey, I really don't know anyone that it wouldn't, I would hope that it wouldn't fit in some way. It's about grief. It's about the love of our family, our spouse, our children, and some of the ups and downs and storms that people go through every day of our lives. Many, many different types of grief. This particular one is more on, on the grief of a lost one. But we all go through grief our entire lives. And I think that if we just take time and stop long enough to look up and talk to God about this, he's always here to help. And I need that very much, as I think everybody does now. Terry, is this your first time in the arena of writing and publishing? Yes, sir, it is. It's my first book in um I tell people, and maybe some people will understand this, maybe some won't, but every book in this process, every word in this process has been from God. God has given me every word in this book. Otherwise, I promise you I would not have been able to do it. And I, again, I hope that it will help many, many people. Mm. Once you started writing this, was it a long process until it got out in stores? Corey, with the grief that I've gone through over my wife the last few years, I really haven't had anything but time, and I sit down in her chair, mm. and I asked God to help me with this, and I started the book on May the 1st, a year ago, and I finished the transcript on July the 15th, and I can't explain that except the fact that I didn't have anything else to do, and I had great editors, so they did the rest for me. Mm. So the whole process has been about a year now. And then that day comes, Terry, and you finally get to hold your physical copy of your book and look at it. What's that moment like? Well, my wife's birthday was actually on March the 15th, and I got from the publishing company the copy of the book that day. Wow. So it was very emotional, to say the least. But when I saw the copy of the book, I thought, boy, I'm about done. But that was far from being done, as we all know. But it's been an unbelievable event and uh, just thank God every day for the chance to help other people. And I truly hope that if they just take the time to read the book, it will help in some way for just about anybody it would bring to Terry, looking down the road, do you see yourself writing and publishing more? I absolutely hope that I will be allowed to do that. It's something that I've enjoyed so much. 
it's opened up my mind and my heart also. It has taken that grief, not ever taking it away, but it's, it's opened it up a little that I'm fortunate to share what I've gone through to help others. And I ask that God would continue to let me do that. I think that probably the, the thing that I hope that I get to do the rest of my life is help others. I think that there's, well, I don't think, I know there's a huge reason for me going through this. And I would think that my wife, Kathy, would be proud of it. And the fact that I have a chance to help others, again, that's all God doing that. But this book can change how you see yourself, others, most of all, how you see what God has done in your life today and still is doing every day. If you just stop long enough to look. And when you do that, I think know that you will see him guiding you to help other people, too. I hope that that helps. I hope that people will take a chance and read this book. I can tell you that it's very much from my heart, and there are storms we all go through each and every day. I know a lot of readers are going to be blessed by this book. I encourage everybody listening right now to seek this one out. Again, it's titled, It's Not Always About You. It's written by Terry D. Newman, published by Christian Faith Publishing, and so it's available everywhere. Go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or even traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll find this. Terry, it's been wonderful talking with you tonight and learning about It's Not Always About You. I hope we get to talk again sometime soon. Again, I appreciate it. And whoever's listening to this, don't ever give up. Just try. You never know until you try. Sitting down right beside me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Elizabeth Guidos. Elizabeth, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. I wanted to congratulate you for having a new book out titled I Was Never Crazy. So, Elizabeth, can you tell me what it's all about? An 18-year-old young woman named Justine Hornbecker, who is institutionalized in the end of the 60s, and her life in a mental hospital for over a decade. And we see how a lot of the abuse that occurs within mm -hmm. the walls of this particular hospital and the people she needs and stuff. Where did the idea for this come from, Elizabeth? Well, I suffered from depression along with other sorts of things throughout my whole life. And the idea was really, it came about when I was actually visiting a friend, well, a family member really, who was at a state hospital, but the state hospital was closed and it was another program for a juvenile program or whatnot. And I thought to myself, you know, anything could happen here. You could get lost in this system. And I felt to just write about it and everything. And at that point, that was 1998, I was in college and I dealt with depression. I had my first hospitalization and I really got a good grasp of what it was like and then the idea of being walked away and then but it's so different now. But at the same time, you know, I was meeting people who had been in these particular hospitals, these state hospitals, and the abuse they suffered. And it really got my mind overflowing. When it comes to writing and publishing, Elizabeth, have you ever done this before? I have published an article in 2022 through the Plat Horse magazine called Staying on Course, My Battle to Survive Mental Illness. So did this take you a long time to write being your first time and not knowing necessarily a lot about the publishing process? I guess it took me over a decade to write this. Mm. And it was between hospitals and between 
vaccine therapy and everything. And I just kind of just took my time with that. But by the end of 2014, when I was getting done with it, it really took on a life form of its own and it became what it is. Hmm. Now, when you were writing, I was never crazy, Elizabeth. Did you have certain readers in mind? Well, anybody who is interested in how far we've come in mental health care and being in the system, being hospitalized, what it was like and how different the treatment was back then. Hmm. And when that day came, Elizabeth, and you open up the mailbox and there it is, your first copy of I Was Never Crazy, and you got to hold this thing and look at it for the first time, what was going through your head? Well, I was excited. I was sad because there's some people, including my mother, who had just passed. We're not going to see it. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It was an incredible feeling to actually see something tangible in my hands and to know that I had written it. And it was exciting and a little overwhelming. Do you think you would do it again? Do you think you got another book in you? I do. So have you planned it out or is it still sort of in the idea stages? It's all planned out. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of doing this for the first time, Elizabeth. So what advice could you throw out there to the first time authors? Read everything that you can possibly grasp. Make sure that you keep on reading. Even if you're not interested in it, read it. Then begin writing and it'll flow. I've noticed a lot of times if you read something like that, you'll get interested in it. You'll, you'll realize, hey, this is actually something I'm, I'm into. Sure. Well, I think readers will get a lot out of this book. I encourage everybody out there to seek this out. Again, it's titled, I Was Never Crazy. It's written by Elizabeth Guidos, published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, available anywhere, Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Elizabeth, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about this book. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I have a book here that aims to challenge traditional thought and conventional wisdom. It's titled The Image Breaker, Shattering the Mind and Spirit of Tradition. The author is James L. Williams, and we're going to talk all about this book because I got James sitting here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. James, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. James, The Image Breaker, what's this book all about? Yeah, so the concept of the book is how traditions impact the believer's ability to function effectively in the things of God. It's centered around the uh, chapter of Mark, chapter 7, where Jesus told the uh, religious-minded people that that tradition voided the effectiveness of the Word of God in their lives. So I, I take a look at the different types of tradition, not just religious tradition, but I look at religious tradition, I look at philosophical traditions, as well as scientific traditions as well. Hmm. James, what sparked you to write this? What was the inspiration to say, hey, I, I got to sit down and write this and get this thing published? Yeah, well, I mean, being a believer and a Christian myself and thinking about how many times, even through my own life and my relationship with the church, how I was impacted from various traditions and really just doing a lot of studying over the last 30 years, realizing the impact of tradition even on my own life and how it was in many ways a hindrance and a barrier to me operating more effectively in the things of Christ as well. Now, obviously, this book is tailored for believers. James, do you think non-believers could get something from this as well? 
Yeah, certainly, because one of the things that I also study is Christian apologetics. And so I take a look at different dynamics of Christian apologetics from the standpoint of not just defending the Christian faith, but looking at some of the scientific traditions that have impacted our culture as well as society. For example, like evolution, I have a chapter called Origin, and it takes a look at the origin, the creation story from Genesis of the Bible, but it also makes a comparison between that and the scientific theory of evolution as well. Mm. So yeah, I think it would it would benefit unbelievers as well as believers. This sounds like something that might have taken a while to write and put through the publishing process. Was this a long process for you? Very long process with this, that this is actually my second book. This particular one took nine years, so it's a tremendous amount of research involved in it, tremendous amount of prayer and time that went into it, put it together in a very comprehensive way to be a, a really a study tool for the body of Christ to help matures in the things of God and to give us a more in-depth understanding of these things that have traditions that have impacted us. So this book was nearly a decade in the making. So after all that time, James, and you finally get that physical copy and you get to hold it and look at this thing with your name on the cover, what's going through your head at that point? Well, it's, it's always a good feeling. I mean, it, mm. you know, it's a little different, of course, than the very first book that I published. But my very first book, I actually won the American Authors Association Religious Book of the Year in 2006. Wow, congratulations. Thank you so much. So that was exciting, of course. But it's always exciting to take a new vision and bring it to its fruition, especially after so many years of studying and, you know, coming through the pandemic and the things that, you know, just kind of created a bit of a hindrance to getting it done. But, you know, just the perseverance and uh, staying on task with what I believe God has put in my heart and now seeing the impact that it's having on the lives of believers and others, I would say that it was worth it. Do you think you have more books in yet? Can we expect more? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I typically, I because my books usually take so long to complete, <laughs> the first one was seven years, and then this one being nine years, I usually take a little bit of a hiatus, kind of focus on, you know, marketing and bringing attention to the book. Usually through that process, I'm always studying and in prayer, and of course, I'm a minister as well, so I'm always, you know, giving sermons and teaching, mm -hmm. and out of that is usually where the next book typically comes out of that, those dynamics, yes. Well, I definitely think a lot of readers are going to be challenged and blessed by the pages of this book. Again, it's titled The Image Breaker, Shattering the Mind and Spirit of Tradition. It's written by James L. Williams and published by Christian Faith Publishing, so you can get it everywhere, Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. James, it's been great having you on the show and learning about your work. Thanks again for joining me tonight. Hey, I certainly appreciate you having me, and Christian Faith Publishers has done a dynamic job for me. So I made a great choice moving to you all as my publisher for this book. Thank you so much. Returning to the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm really happy to welcome R.L. Matta. Robert, thank you for joining me here again. Thank you so much, Corey. My pleasure. It's my pleasure to be speaking with you again. We have an audiobook this time, Prairie Moon Sketches. So, Robert, can you tell me all about this one? Yes. Prairie Moon Sketches is the last book of the Prairie Moon Trilogy. The book takes us ahead in time 20 years from the second book and shares the stories of what has happened to all the major characters in books one and two. Each chapter reveals how time has passed how some things have changed for the banner, others have brought pause to the lives of the characters. 
and endings have occurred for others. Robert, how did you get the idea for this plot, especially in the third book here? What what was your inspiration? The inspiration for this is that obviously I needed to bring the books together, mm. and I needed to tell how each of the characters, at least. I could complete where they were at this point in time with their lives and what I was hoping the readers would be able to look at and say, okay, here's where they are, here's where they're headed. And in one case, at least, how one of the characters ultimately his life, well, actually two of the characters in their lives actually came to a close. Their lives ended. Robert, what kinds of readers did you have in mind for this series? Well, that's a good question. My data analytics tell me that readers, most of my readers are adults in their 20s and up. And so the term sketches, why I think they would appreciate the title from the trilogy itself, pulling it to the end there, is that when you think of the word sketch, it's the definition of a drawing representing the chief features of an object or scene, perhaps. Or mm. it's also a short composition resembling a short story, but intentionally familiar in tone. Mm. So... When you look at the book, each chapter opens with a sketch. And it was made by a very close friend of mine who read the book. And they came up with artwork that represented what he believed visually expressed that chapter and embraced each of the characters as their story was told in that chapter. Robert, how long did this third book take you? Did you find it getting easier and shorter as you went? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> It took another year to complete. Each book took a year to complete. Yes. Now, you got to tell me, whenever you get that first hard copy in, now, we are talking about the audio book, but you do get that hard copy in beforehand, and you get to hold this thing. you got to tell me about that moment. What's going through your head, Robert? Well, what was going on in my head at that time was to know that I, in this case, in this trilogy, of course, ends in hard copy. And so, in this case, I wrote a trilogy of well-written books available for the world to read. If it wasn't for the people who stood by me through it all, I would not have been able to do this. That is what I feel when I hold those books in my ears. And do you think you'll be writing more after this? We're ending the trilogy. Do you have something else planned to start? I do. I have three books in the queue, as they say. However, mm. I take part because of having suffered a stroke. I've been working on getting back to a good place in my heart and mind where I can once again write with purpose and focus. Mm. Now, I'm sure you learned a lot publishing these three books, Robert. Do you have advice now that you could offer to the aspiring authors out there? I would. I do. You hear many people who say they want to write a book. The truth of the matter is that anyone can write a book. I honestly believe that. Make sure you're focused on what it is you do this for. By this, I mean it fits for the kudos and loans the money. That's nice. However, let's face it, that's a tiny slice of authors out there who make it to the big time. Mm -hmm. So I would say this. Write the very best possible book you can and write it well. Offer something original not something trendy. And remember, you're only as good as your last book. So keep that in mind. Great advice. Well, I think readers and audiobook listeners are really going to love this book and the whole series, actually. Again, this one is titled Prairie Moon Sketches. It's written by R.L. Matta, published by the Audiobook Network. So you can find it everywhere that you go to get your audiobooks, like Audible and the Apple iTunes Store and Amazon, everywhere. 
Robert, thanks again for joining me again and telling me about the conclusion to your series. I hope we get to talk again. I certainly hope so too, Clay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You take care. The Dog Food Mystery. It's the new book just hit stores. It's written by N.F. Wolf. And I'm curious about this book, so we get to find out about it right now. The author, Nina, is here with me at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Nina, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm really curious about the dog food mystery, Nina. Can you tell me about it? Yes. It introduces you to the Parker family who live in El Paso, and they help a young boy they found in a treehouse in the woods behind their house. Now, we follow this family traveling in a caravan from Guatemala to the U.S., and this young boy who thought his family perished crossing the Rio Grande is looking for his uncle who lives in El Paso. Nana, where'd the idea for this story come from? Well, you know, I started out with dog food being silfered in a neighborhood, and what happened was the young man, the young boy that was in the treehouse, my mind went to, okay, who's messing with the dog food? <laughs> and who is the young boy in the treehouse? And it just kind of morphed from there into this young illegal immigrant who had come across with his family. And, you know, that's kind of where it all went. So it just kind of morphed as I wrote. Interesting. What kinds of readers, Nina, do you think would be really into the dog food mystery? I am hoping that it would be young readers. I think this book may need to deal more with the teens and all the way to the old people, mm. <laughs> like me. <laughs> and when it comes to writing and publishing, Nina, have you done this before, or is this your first book? No, this is my first book. Wow, congratulations. My first submission. Did it take you a really long time to do being your first one? Well, only about a year. I retired in January of last year, and then my husband passed away in August of that year. So mm, sorry. I really needed this book to fill that void. And then that day comes, Nina, and you finally get it in the mail. You get that hard copy in. You actually get to hold this thing that you've been working on for a year or more. What was that moment like for you? It was excitement, and it was thankfulness that I was able to have the opportunity to reach out to readers. Do you think there are more books in yet? Would you do it again? I have another one that's in final edits, and then I have another one that's in progress. Fantastic. Are they all related, or are you exploring different things? Well, actually, what they do is follow the Parker family. Hmm. And the Parker family, as they go on their vacations and the different things that happen in their lives. So the second book is the Parker family on a cruise. And there's some interesting things that happened there. So there's some intrigue, if you will. And then the third one is the Parker family vacationing on a dude ranch. Well, Nina, two things about this book grabbed me when I saw it for the first time. The first one was the title, The Dog Food Mystery. So that had me wondering off the bat. But the cover, the artwork is really beautiful. Can you tell me about it? Well, that was developed by Covenant Books. They actually did a wonderful job with that cover. but. The dog food mystery really describes the opening incident that this neighborhood is experiencing, and then it quickly moves from that to the deeper story. Thinking back to the publishing process, Nina, what was the most challenging part of that for you? You know, they're really dealing with this publisher was so easy. 
The biggest challenge I had was getting the book together and then thinking, now, how do I get it published? And once I I actually went online and looked for publishers and found Covenant Book, and they made it so easy. It was just one step at a time, and they walked me all the way through it. It was wonderful. A lot of time, a lot of work goes into writing and publishing, as you well know, Nina. Yes. So for you, what's the most rewarding aspect of being a published author? Well, It's realizing a dream that I've had for many years. Just realizing that dream was the most rewarding aspect of it. I think a lot of readers are going to love this book and love all the other ones that Nina's working on. Again, this one's called The Dog Food Mystery, written by N.F. Wolf, published by Covenant Books. So it's available everywhere. Go to Amazon and Barnes & Noble or iTunes or traditional brick-and-mortar stores and you'll be able to get this. Nina, it's been really nice talking with you tonight, learning about your work. I hope we get to talk again soon. So do I. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. We're talking about a book now that's an eye-opening look at how God can be an active participant throughout every aspect of one's life, so long as they keep their heart and mind open to his presence. It's titled Devotionals for Business, and it's written by Joseph Snyder. And we're going to talk all about it. Joseph is here with me now. Joseph, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Joseph, can you tell me all about devotionals for business? Yeah, it was something that I wanted to actually buy off the shelf 20 years ago, but it never came out into the market. And so I ended up writing it myself because I felt there there was a need, you know, to merge scripture and business together. So that's what is the theme. But then uh, I wrote 60 devotionals, 12 in five different categories about business, typical things that an MBA student would go through in a degree program so that you'd have a pretty well-rounded education in business and scripture, how it relates. Would you say that was your target audience on this, the Christian MBAs? At first, what I found is that people are using it for different things, Bible studies, people in business that want to know about MBA-type topics, and then how does Scripture relate to that? You know, the ethical issues today in business, people want answers. So this helps. Joseph, considering the writing of this, the publishing process, and the audiobook production, was this a long one for you? It was. The audiobook was quite fast in comparison to the actual publishing steps. Hmm. It took about 10 months for the printed book. It didn't take a month and a half, two months, pretty much, for the audiobook. What did you find the most challenging aspect of that? It was kind of a hurry up and wait. Hmm. After you're done with the manuscript itself, then working with somebody to actually do the editing, cover design, marketing, all the setup that's involved, and the publisher was able to do that. It just takes time. And Joseph, have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book and publishing? I actually have. I wrote an autobiographical power of prayer book talking about victory over kidney cancer. wrote that in 2005 called On My Knees I See Clearly. So that was a book about my own experience and having, in the year 2000, kidney cancer and power of prayer, how it helped to bring me out of that and, you know, that painful story, but it ended up very powerful in terms of my own faith. Hmm. 
And what are the chances you'll be writing again? Do you have anything else planned out? I do. Actually, it's going to be a children's book about a dog we used to own named Pepe. It's going to be a children's book, like I say, but it's going to have a few different kinds of features to it. It'll have illustrations totally done by AI. Oh, wow. So that's going to be new. And then what I'm going to do is also have about every fourth page a little bit of a devotional for the adult over in the margin on the right-hand side. So it's not going to be that many pages, but it'll have four stories, sub-stories in it. And then, you know, he was such a blessing in our lives, Pepe was, that, you know, it's worth keeping his memory, but then also using some new techniques involved in the book production. Hmm. When it came to the audiobook version of this, what was it like for you whenever you heard the book as opposed to reading it? When I was hearing some of the narrators, there were several to choose from, and it was interesting being able to hear it spoken back to me. <laughs> I actually gained more experience from that than anything that I would do as far as reading it myself. Mm. I thought it was more powerful to actually hear it coming at me. So I thought that was a very good part of the process. Joseph, we have a lot of aspiring authors listening to us right now. So based on your experience writing and publishing and all, what advice could you offer to them? Definitely have a marketing and sales plan ahead of time. You'll have a lot of time to think about that and be creative with that social media, whatever contacts you have, start thinking about that as early as possible. I think a lot of people are going to be blessed by this audiobook, and I encourage my listeners to seek it out. Again, it's titled Devotionals for Business. It's written by Joseph Snyder and is published by the Audiobook Network. So, of course, it's available anywhere you get your audiobooks, like on Audible, the Apple iTunes Store, Amazon, anywhere. Joseph, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling me about your work. I had a nice time. Thank you so much. The Adventures of Manti the Praying Mantis. That's the new book. It's out in stores now, written by Candy Walcott. And we're going to find out all about it. Candy is joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Candy, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and be part of everything that is going on in the book world today. Well, I'm excited to learn all about this new one of yours, The Adventures of Manti the Praying Mantis. Candy, can you tell me about it? I can. Actually, Manti is a fun teaching tool so that children can actually learn the Lord's Prayer through the adventures of a praying mantis and the things that he learns through his life adventures. So I'm looking forward to people getting to see and and learn from the adventures that Mandy has along the way. Were you thinking younger children or a little bit older children for this? Actually, I'm so glad you said that. It's interesting because my target age was pre-K to eight years old. And I recently had an 80-year-old lady, a youngster rather, <laughs> call me and say that it made her heart smile to read Mandy. And it actually brought her 40-year-old son back to her life, who was literally on drugs. And she shared the book with him, and they hadn't spoken in six years. And the book is actually unbelievably bringing them into a place of reconciliation. I couldn't believe it. A praying mantis that can do that. I'm very excited about that. Wow, that's exciting. Your book is already changing lives, Candy. That's got to be something. I'm very honored that it is, truly. Now, when it comes to writing and publishing and all that, Candy, have you ever done this before or are you new to the whole thing? 
Okay, I'm new to writing a book. However, I did write old small short stories, I should say short stories, for Tehachapi, California, as the pet nanny. And it was really fun. And I was encouraged by their editor to pursue my writing career. Did this take a really long time to get out there? You know, it took, the process is what is amazing. And of course, it took about 18 months from the beginning of writing to publishing. I'm just thrilled that it was an experience that I can say was guided through prayer and friends and much encouragement because people don't realize when they start to lie that there truly is a process and you learn as you go. And I tell people, don't be afraid to just launch out there with something to pass you about. I'm curious, Candy, a praying mantis, uh, where did the idea for this come from? Well, it's interesting you ask. I was sitting in prayer on my patio in my backyard, and I had been moving, and I opened one of my boxes with a planter in it, and it was a flower pot. And when I opened it and pulled out the newspaper, literally hundreds of baby praying mantises started pouring out of the pot. Oh, wow. And when they did, I sat down for a minute, and I just watched them. As I did, I felt like the Lord was inspiring me to start this book. So I literally went inside, got pen and paper, the old school way, if you will, <laughs> and came back outside, and I didn't stop until it was complete. But my inspiration was truly the Holy Spirit. What's it like, Candy, when that moment comes and you finally get to hold the first physical copy of your book? What's going through your head? What are you feeling? I felt so much joy and just tears. And I cannot, it's an indescribable feeling. If you will, it's like a birthing process. So it's very rewarding to see it come to fruition. And I'm very thankful to be able to look at the book and see it in full life, if you will. And it's very exciting. I can say that is just amazing to me. Mm. The process was amazing. And seeing it come to completion is a huge reward. I could not be more thankful. And a big part of this was the illustrations. Candy, what sort of a process was that? You know, I have a wonderful illustrator, Deborah DeHart, and it all worked together. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful process. And Christian Faith Publishers assisted us tremendously. And it was just a really fun time. The timing was perfect, all I could say. Well, I think this is a book that will indeed bring a lot of children joy and a lot of other readers joy as well. Again, it's titled The Adventures of Manti, the Praying Mantis. It's written by Candy Walcott, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So, of course, you can find it anywhere. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or iTunes, or traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to pick this up. It's been so nice talking with you tonight, Candy, and learning all about the adventures of Manti, the praying mantis, and everything else you have going on. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a fantastic evening. Tonight at the Reader House Author Roundtable, we're going to meet Nigel, Juliet, and a dog named Ringo. Because actually, that's the name of the new book, Just Hit Stores, written by F.L. Bolton. And Fernando, the author, is here with me now, and we get to find out all about it. Fernando, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm curious about Nigel, Juliet, and a dog named Ringo, Fernando. Can you tell me about it? You know, it's a story about a little boy named Nigel, his baby sister, Juliet. And um, Nigel is age Juliet five, and they had a golden retriever, and the dog was killed in a car accident, tragically. Mm. And the story is about how Nigel ignores his own pain 
to help his baby sister cope with the loss of the dog. And he just so empathically looks after his baby sister. And it becomes all about her well-being. And he incorporates the help of his mother and his father. And they get together with the grandmother. And they just go through all these motions to ensure the welfare of uh, Juliet. And it's a very touching story. Teach children to deal with loss, grief, and tragedy, but in a child-friendly way, mm. without superimposing on them a lot of coercion and things like that. So this was written for children. What age range were you thinking? Between five and eight years old. I actually timed it because, you know, if you read it really fast, it's about 23 minutes. And if you read it slow, it's about 36 minutes. So it's reasonable to think that if a parent read it to a smaller child, you know, that was a kid we used to do cliffhangers, you know, you know, the first half tonight and then mom be like, oh, okay, tomorrow night, you know. Mm-hmm. So I considered that the attention span of children that young as well. I'm curious where the idea for this plot came from, Fernando. Can you tell me about that? You know, as you know, in here in our great America, you know, unfortunately, we have a lot of school shootings and, you know, that's a hot topic in itself. But Sandy Hook was something that stuck in my claw. Mm. Every time I think about it 13 years later, it kind of bothers me. So the thing was that, you know, children need to come face to face with the reality of the world. Now, we can't no longer afford to tell happy stories because society is just moving so fast. So I thought it'd be good to write a book that teach children to deal with loss, grief, and tragedy, and just kind of, you know, gently bring them along with the reality of the world, that the world is not always purple and green and blue and orange, but the world can be very dark and very gothic. And that's why I wrote this book, to kind of help children deal with loss, grief, and tragedy, but in a child-friendly manner without a lot of push and pull and a lot of tug-of-war and a lot of resistance, you know, because children have a tendency to clam up. Right. When they were experiencing hardship. And this is a way to kind of get them to open up without, you know, really going into that psychological battle. With them. Fernando, when it comes to writing and publishing books, have you done this kind of thing before? No. In actuality, I had a number of different career opportunities. And it wasn't until I realized that I wasted a lot of time when I was a younger person. I was a real procrastinator. And then as I got older, I started looking back in retrospect and I was like, you know, I haven't done a lot with myself. I wrote pretty much to ensure my future, but I didn't want to put my name on anything. I wanted to write something that had purpose, something that defied the status quo, something that people can really can really speak to people. Mm. The hours of discussion, I, you know, in in contemplation and me and my wife, we got together and, and Nigel and Julia was born. And once you decided to take that leap, was it a long process until it got out there? The actual story took about four months to write. But initially, you know, I was very naive to the whole literary world. And I thought then I could single-handedly do the editing and the proofreading and the illustration. And that went on for about six months. And then I I got plugged in with Christian faith. And then Mm -hmm. after that, things started coming together. But then COVID struck. And I thought this was going to be like an eight-month, nine-month ordeal. But when COVID struck, that slowed down everything. And the entire process from pen to paper to on the shelves in the stores, it was almost five years. I think a lot of children and families will love this book. Again, it's titled Nigel, Juliet, and a Dog Named Ringo. It's written by F.L. Bolton, published by Christian Faith Publishing. So it's available everywhere, of course, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Fernando, what a good time I had talking with you here tonight. Thanks again for joining me. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you very much. You have a good evening. 
Sitting down with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Rose Rubio. Rose, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I wanted to congratulate you, Rose. You have a new book out in stores titled What Not to Do in Beauty for the Mature Woman. Rose, can you tell me about this? Yes. It is a book to help guide the mature woman in every aspect of beauty for her personally, according to her candor. Rose, what inspired you to write this? How did you get the idea? I have to say it was a God-driven assignment. All my life, I've worked with women in every aspect of beauty. And two years ago, I was watching something on TV that was the opposite of my belief in a total image for an individual's canvas. It was like a shot in the arm to me from the universe telling me, okay, you need to start writing. Mm. Because it was so not what I believe in to bring out the best features and colors and designs, different things for the individual woman. And obviously this is geared towards mature women. Do you think younger women could get something out of this too? Yes. I did not write it for a younger generation because they have a whole different outlook of putting together things on them, and they really don't mind. I mean, like, everything goes. Everything goes with the younger generation. Mm. And I think that's fabulous. But when you're 40-plus and you're a professional, mature woman, and if you have to be on TV or you have to be on any aspect of professionalism, There is nothing out there that is really helping them from head to toe. Because I've been in the business and have dealt with that all my life, I just felt a strong, strong need to do this. And so I just sat down and started writing one day when I saw that on TV. (laughs) So, Rose, you've spent your life in the beauty industry. So how long of an endeavor was it for you to write the book and then get it published? It took me 10 months to write it because I really didn't write unless I was really there mentally to sit down and write. And it took about a year thereafter starting to have someone edit it for me and help me get it together before I could send it to a publisher. When it comes to writing books and publishing and all that, Rose, have you ever done this before or is this your first time? No, I have not ever done it. It's the first time. What did you find the most difficult or challenging part of the whole process? Finding the time to actually concentrate on what it was I needed to write down and also finding the correct word sometimes. It's a big difference between someone who writes and someone who doesn't. (laughs) 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 I would say the most challenging was that. And then when you finally got your first copy in, Rose, you got to hold this for the first time after that year of working on it. What was that like for you? It was a big smile. (laughs) It was another achievement in my life, but I took it very humbly because my whole purpose for this book really is to just help women. I'm sure you've learned a lot along the way of doing this for the first time, Rose. So is there anything you picked up along the way that you could throw out as advice to the aspiring authors who are listening to us? Speak from your heart and have integrity about everything you write about. It's great advice. Do you think you have another book in you, Rose? Would you do this again? I'm sure, probably, but I don't have one in mind today. (laughs) But yeah, I probably would, yeah. Mm. How hard was it to decide then how the book was going to look? You know, you spend a lot of time, like you said, deciding what to write and getting the words just right. 
But then you have to figure out what goes on the cover and again, what it's going to look like. Was that a challenge for you? I have to say no. And the reason is because my wonderful publishing company helped me with that. They got to know me over the phone pretty well. They understood my heart. That's how it came out. And I was very pleased with it. It's very me. I know a lot of women are going to get a lot out of this book, and I encourage everybody listening to seek it out. It's titled, What Not to Do in Beauty for the Mature Woman. It's written by Rose Rubio, published by Newman Springs Publishing, so it's available anywhere, like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Rose, it's been really great having you on the show here and learning about your book. I hope we get to talk again sometime soon. Well, thank you for having me. And you have a great day. Well, I'm holding a new book right here by author Glenn Mitchell. It's titled Praying for Pastor and Our Church. And I'm going to learn all about this book right now. Glenn is sitting here with me at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Glenn, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here as well. Glenn, can you tell me all about what you've written in Praying for Pastor and Our Church? Yes. I wrote this book because I found a need within the church for Christians to be aware that their pastor, even though he mostly ministers to them, he mostly prays for them, but he has a great need for prayer due to the responsibilities that he has as a pastor and leading the church. And I found that a great deal of Christians are not conscious of the need for the pastor to be prayed for. Hmm in order for him to fully fulfill his commission given to him by God. Glenn, what sparked you to sit down, start writing this, and then seek publication? Well, back in 1988, right after I became a Christian, the pastor that I was under, one night I received a phone call. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, and that call told us that our pastor had been taken to the emergency room and that he was in a life-or-death situation and that we all needed to come together at the church and pray for him, pray that God would spare his life and that he would be able to continue in ministry. And it was a crisis situation, and so we did respond. We did pray, and in fact, we prayed, and then we kept on praying, and he did recover. And I came to realize that we do respond to urgent prayer needs in a crisis situation, and I realized that We also need to be aware that our pastors need our prayers even even when he's not in a crisis situation. Mm -hmm. As I read the Bible, I read how Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 14 of the 26 letters in the New Testament, he continually asked the church to pray for him. Continually, in nine different places, he asked the church to pray for him. And I believe that in his asking people to pray for him and continue to pray for him, It was one of the reasons why God was able to use him to write all those letters to the churches, because he had the people praying to God continually for him. And I feel that in the days and times that we're living in, the world that we're living in, with all the different situations and circumstances going on, that we need to be praying for our pastors to the same degree, so that they can hear from God and get answers from God on how we at the church should respond to these different situations and circumstances that our world is facing. Hmm. Glenn, once you got started on this book, clear up until the time of publication, was it a long time? Was it a long, drawn-out process for you? This is actually a revision. I wrote this book in 2003, but 
at that time, I was working in a printing place under a printer. And so I wrote the book, and because I was working under a printer, I had the ability to actually print the book myself. Oh, wow. So I wrote it, I published it, I edited it, I printed it, and I put it all together. But once I finished it and looked at the final product, I realized I needed some help. I didn't do too good on the editing, and it wasn't quite the polished touch that I wanted. So I actually just put the book to a side. But after the pandemic hit and the churches were closed down, many members within the church were getting sick. In fact, many members in our church actually died from the pandemic. It really affected our pastors. It really affected him, you know, because to see so many of his members go home to be with the Lord, it was really bringing him down. And I realized that we needed, again, this high level of prayer to either help pray them through the financial difficulties that the church was facing, the uh, heaviness that was resting on them because so many members were being affected by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so I rewrote the book and it didn't take a long time. It took me about seven months to rewrite it and to get it to the publisher so that they could professionally publish it for me. Well, prayer is so important, and I think a lot of people will be blessed by this book. It's titled Praying for Pastor and Our Church. It's written by Glenn Mitchell, published by Christian Faith Publishing. And of course, you can get it anywhere, so get on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop, and you'll be able to find this. Glenn, it's been so nice talking with you here tonight and learning about praying for pastor and our church and about your heart. I, I had a really nice time. And I also had a nice time. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.